Hello listeners. Welcome to season 2 of the Masters Decoder podcast. I am Anis Merchant, the chief decoder. I want to thank you for the overwhelming response to season 1. Your feedback and encouragement led me to bring you season 2 of the Masters Decoder. The season will tap into how technology, artificial intelligence and other socio-economic factors have impacted my guest careers or passions. Hello listeners, I'm glad to share with you the 5th episode of our special series on Masters Decoded. In partnership with Asian Digital Supermovers, which we conduct every Sunday at 6 p.m. IST or 8:30 a.m. EST on Clubhouse. Our guest for today is Pankaj Rai. He's currently the Group Chief Data and Analytics Officer at Aditya Birla Group. With over 25 plus years of experience, Pankaj brings in a unique perspective of current and future trends. Today's session is focused on the future of workforce in the age of AI and technology. So without much further ado, let me get on with it. So welcome everyone. This is the Asian Digital Supermovers Club. We bring to you OG experts and thought leaders from the field of everything related to the Asian uh, Asian digital super economy. Uh, and we are a group of diverse people who are running the club and bringing to you the best thought leaders out there. Uh, it is our effort that, and we hope that you not only like the content associated with Asia, but you're also with the global leaders who are coming in. It's uh, we are able to understand what the globe has to offer and what Asia has to offer to the globe. Uh, we bring to you experts from the field of product management, technology, uh, VCs, cap- venture capital firms, and of course fintech. Uh, today we have Anis with us, who runs the Masters Do- Decoded series on Asia Digital Supermovers, where he brings champions. In Uh, from every single field and helps us understand and makes us understand a lot better so a big warm welcome to anis who has restarted after the holiday break so anis how was the break and did you enjoy being away from clubhouse you know i was on and off on clubhouse but the break was definitely good in mumbai it is raining right now so the monsoon's break is very well welcome for many of us but yeah i'm back uh, and hope to have more of these sessions on uh, asian digital supermovers as we move along every sunday So Anis uh, do you want to introduce Pankaj and then we'll get started Sure sure uh and candidly uh Pankaj doesn't need an introduction in the Indian community for sure uh but for everyone who don't know Pankaj I'll take a liberty of introducing him So Pankaj uh you know as you know I don't have anything scripted but I'll go with what I know Pankaj of Uh Pankaj has been uh, in the industry for more than two decades now. Uh but uh, today currently he serves as a group chief data and analytics officer at Aditya Billa Group and we'll definitely talk more about what his ro- uh, role entail. But more importantly uh Pankaj has taught many of us how to create networks and do networking. He's a mentor, he's a coach. and he's a great friend um and i can tell you this much if anybody wants to learn networking pankaj is the person he knows probably everyone uh in the tech ai space for sure uh in india and uh, the larger community in the world so pankaj welcome to the group and uh, we look forward to today's conversation thanks anish great to be here again with you <laughs> 
No, it's our pleasure, Pankaj. Uh, so, Pankaj, before we get to uh, connect on the topic, which is the future of workforce, and uh, you know, double click on that topic, you want to give a quick background. I know you've currently joined Aditya Birla Group, uh, but a little bit background about what you currently do at Aditya Birla Group, uh, as much as you can share. I think that will be really helpful to set the context. Sure, Anis. So, I just joined the group uh, two weeks ago. Uh, taking over from my, um, you know, friend uh, Deep Thomas, who had uh, set up this team about four years ago, and he moved on to the U.S. to pursue some uh, personal interest. Uh, so this team is really a group function, uh, which is supposed to support uh, all the various group companies of the group. Uh, by the way, this group is uh, present in uh, aluminium. Uh, Hindalco is the name of the company. Cement, uh, Ultratech is the name of the company. We have Grassim, which has a lot of uh, you know chemicals and fibers. Uh, there's Carbon Black. Uh, there is Aditya Villa Fashion Retail and Financial Services. The last two are the ones which I think are more consumer-facing and hence a lot of people know about that. Uh, but the other ones that I spoke about, they are you know far older and far bigger and far more profitable. So that's the sort of broad contours of the group. Uh, the role of this uh, data analytics team as it was set up uh, four years ago was to see how uh, the data and analytics culture can be uh, built inside various groups companies. And uh, in the last two weeks, what I have understood is that uh, the traditional companies, uh, the manufacturing ones, uh, have been far more uh, eager uh, to pick up uh, data analytics. And the team that I lead uh, is working a lot with them. Of course, they work with the other uh, you know, retail and financial service as well. Uh, but looks like the offtake has been far more on the industrial side. So I think the, uh, the the role that I have is to assess where we are in that journey and try to see how we can uh, add value and uh, you know make data analysis more part of the cultural fabric of the group companies. And you've definitely assumed and resumed on a role uh, of changing the face of a company which has been in the setup for a long, long time, specifically in India and globally. And one of the critical thing is uh, you're focused on is data and analytics and things which really make a big difference is people. And the topic of today's conversation is going to be about the future of workforce, Pankaj. Uh, you've seen the industry evolve uh, from your Dell days when you were focused on analytics and driving that and much before that with GE as well. Uh, you know, how have you seen the transition happening uh, about people, about their thinking, and, you know, when you look to hire people, you know, how do you see that transitioning happening today? Yeah. You know, so I, um, I uh, have worked also in uh, GE long ago. And uh, I also had the fortune of working as a black belt in GE because at that point in time, Jack Welch, the then CEO, was very, you know, uh, focused on Six Sigma and uh, wanted uh, the company to embrace a process-centering, continuous improvement culture. So I draw parallels from my GE experience of maybe two decades ago when I was over there in their financial services business uh, to where, you know, I am now uh, in this industrial conglomerate, uh, you know, almost like GE, which is, you know, very diversified and trying to do a lot of things. Uh, and the parallel that I draw is that at that point in time, uh, the CEO felt that uh, process improvement and continuous improvement uh, was a key uh, element that the whole group needs to embrace. And that's when they set up the Six Sigma team. They had black belts and these people were there to work with various business units, work with them to say, you know, how do you create that culture of process improvement and so on and so forth. Uh, and the way they used to do it was these, uh, you know, black belts would act as, as consultants. They'll work with business teams to say, what are your problems? How can we help you? 
uh, understand the language of Six Sigma, which, by the way, uh, some of the people who are familiar with this will remember. Uh, we used to have the methodology called DMake, which was really define, measure, analyze, improve, control. Quite commonsensical. You define a problem, you measure where we are, you analyze the data, you improve it, and you control it. Make sure it stays there. So that's what you know we all used to do. And over time, what I saw that. Uh, Six Sigma really became a part of the DNA of not that, that company, but many other companies. And these Six Sigma Blackbirds, you know, seem to have disappeared and they, are, they aren't a breed uh, today as they used to be. Uh, and, and I think that osmosis was completed. And today, many of those Blackbirds are business leaders. And these leaders, I think, are uh, better leaders than their predecessors because they, are, they have ingrained Six Sigma and continuous movement. So the reason I gave this longish explanation of Six Sigma was that I think that any new capability uh, that is to be uh, osmosisized uh, inside an organization starts up something like that, that you have a bunch of experts who are from the outside, but over time, uh, their job should be to really eliminate themselves and make sure that that capability is, is you know, embraced and uh, embedded in, the, in that team and in those people. And I think uh, the way it happened was in a few different uh, ways. One. Uh, some of these black belts went on to do those business roles. There were people in business, they came to do these Six Sigma roles. So I think there was an exchange of talent between the specialized team and the business teams. Uh, there was, you know, training and curriculums over there to make sure that, uh, you know, people understood the language uh, that, that uh, kind of uh, pervades uh, this whole discipline. And therefore, there was some coaching uh, provided to all of those people. There were projects done to show people how it works. So it was a player and a coach. So that is what I think the consultants were. And I think uh, when I draw parallels to analytics or frankly, pretty much any capability that you want to uh, embrace, I would say that those consultants, while they are outside, they need to somehow uh, determine how to create some kind of a discipline so that they can coach and train people. Uh, they need to also be players to show how that, uh, that, that whole methodology has to be applied and how these things need to be learned. They need to create some IP, some product, some curriculum, some ways of working through which others can learn. And over time, all the knowledge that they have ideally should be sort of uh, embraced into the business. And whatever they knew at that point in time uh, should get eliminated. Now, um, uh, in the world of data analytics, I, I think there'll be so much more happening that this whole elimination of your current job and your current skill set uh, will actually lead you to go higher up in the curve and pick up other things that don't exist today. So I look at current situation uh, a bit different from the Six Sigma situation in the sense that uh, Six Sigma was that one capability which got absorbed in that finish. Uh, data analytics is not that. I think it's an evolving capability and will continue to evolve. And therefore, uh, the role of these uh, central teams or the enabling teams has to be a bit of a uh, virtuous cycle of, uh, you know, uh, enhancing the knowledge of what you have, then go on to pick up new knowledge, which is at a higher level, pick that up and give it to these people and then go on and go. So I think in, the, in some senses, uh, this team should be continuously looking at raising the game and enhancing the skill set of the central teams. That's how I look at the roles of these central teams in today's uh, world of data analysis. Building on to what you just said, Pankaj, you know, like you spoke about the continuous improvement. Uh, one of the interesting trends which is happening is continuously uh, we see in the job market at all different levels is continuous movement of workforce from one setup to another. Uh, do you think uh, that's sustainable in the long term? You know, I, I, I look at this as uh, the same thing that has happened to to any new technology or any new capability that, uh, you know, there is a bit of a, uh, 
uh, buzz and then everyone is chasing them in fact i remember i can't remember these days that so many of the work experience that <laughs> when when did this happen but i remember one point in time uh, everyone who was studying engineering wanted to become a computer science engineer it almost appeared that uh, the world will be run uh, only on coding and software and every other branch of engineering was uh, meaningless of course we have you know passed that phase in fact these days i i seem to see that a lot of people are trying to uh, study economics in fact uh, my two daughters are studying economics as well while me and my brother studied engineering so i think uh, new uh, things come on the horizon and people go there and then of course the price and uh, price of that uh, talent uh, goes up and then over time it levels off so i think uh, in, in today's day and age uh, i see a lot of people and I, i i talk to a lot of people they want to learn new tools and learn new techniques and i tell them hey, you know you can learn python or r or you know whatever that tool is but it's going to become obsolete very soon so while you might uh, command a premium because you know tableau or some other tool uh, but that tool will become obsolete and something else will come in so i think uh, today more than before um, anything that you learn uh, there is a bit of a high uh, but you need to continuously relearn because the way it goes up it also goes down uh, so yeah i think uh, we are in that type where at a macro level these types of skills are in high demand uh, this is the computer science today of uh, of engineering uh, which was there a couple of decades ago uh, and i think it will it will settle down somewhere because i think the supply and demand plays out and um, i i have no reason to believe that uh, uh, something of that sort will not happen again now this good old uh, rules which we grew up with which is the 440 rule study for 4 years and uh, work for 40 years has definitely been disrupted and more importantly the skills uh, which we thought that we acquired once uh, will live forever has also been disrupted today i can tell you uh, there are industry stats that everybody has to revalidate their skills between 6 to 9 months and uh, relook at their skill pool uh every four years uh so you either enhance and pivot into a different new skill altogether or try to uh you know embrace and enhance uh, the skill pool because the technology or the business or the science has evolved uh which forces you to reskill yourself uh every four years and we've seen people who've not been successful at it have either uh, st- stagnated in their current roles or uh you know they've either lost jobs because of variety of reasons uh and talking about job loss uh you know often ai and technology has been touted as one of the biggest reasons uh why people will lose jobs but pandemic proved otherwise as well uh, there were other economic and uh, worldly affairs which had an impact on people losing jobs uh but talking about job loss how much do you think uh the future of workforce uh will depend on a job uh you know that's the biggest question in my mind like whether my kids would really want to work or they want to be a youtube artist or be a creator of their own uh sorts yeah that's a very interesting question and even as you can imagine we all uh, get that question all the time so i have uh, let me share with you a few different uh, strands of uh, thinking and and by the way I'm, i'm i'm new to clubhouse so i see some hands being raised i'm sure you will figure out you know how to engage folks uh, who are raising hands Uh, but let me share with you a few different stand that i said uh, that come to mind on that topic that you mentioned i'll bring it all together uh, so the first one is related to you know how do you form your careers and how do you you know learn and what do you learn and all of that so i kind of tried to summarize my own uh, learnings into what i call the 3p framework based on my own sort of life data so to say and the first p really was the process p to say hey, in, in the good old days and my g days uh, process was king and 
because the world was linear and uh, the process was king. If you could improve processes continuously, you could get at the others because people were not improving process. They were just standing still. And in, in my mind, the classical example was Toyota who said, I will, you know, my folks will come every day in the morning, have a mat- morning meeting. In that huddle, they probably drive 0.1% improvement. And if uh, Ford and General Motors didn't do that, you know, we'll beat them. And I think that's what they did. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, over time, I think that that process, uh, which assumed a linear world and therefore continuous improvement was the way to win, changed because here came along Amazon or Tesla or whoever, and Tesla in the auto example to say, hey, the world is not linear, it is actually multidimensional. So you can't rely on continuous improvement, you have to now rely on, you know, sort of continuous reinvention. So you have to sort of uh, come up with a new product. So then came the second P of product, which which said, hey, if I, I have a product better than yours, and that product is not a linear thing. It's It's a uh, agglomeration of a bunch of ideas that we have, and we will solve your problem using that. And I think, in my mind, the third P, which is now prevalent, and by the way, the other two Ps are still relevant. They are just subservient to this third P. And to me, this third P appears to be purpose, that you know, you can't tie yourself to a process or a product. I think you have to tie yourself somewhere to a purpose, because all of us as human beings seek a purpose, and that purpose can't be you know, building a product because product will come and go. I think it has to be some kind of a purpose, which is higher order to say, you know, I want to solve the problem of uh, mobility, or I have the purpose of solving a healthcare issue or whatever. And then the products and the processes subservient to that will come and go, um, but your purpose hopefully uh, you know, will stay. So one is this theme around thinking of a purpose and not a product and, uh, and process in terms of your career journey, because those are having a short life cycle and you don't want to keep changing your uh, identity and focus and so on and so forth all the time because you can get confused because of that 440 rule. We all like to sort of follow something for a longer term and therefore to me purpose is that. I think the second stand uh, you know, that comes to mind is that about uh, uh, job uh, loss and job obsolescence. Uh, I think again, sort of somewhere related to the first theme that I spoke about, I think nothing new is happening today. It's just happening at a faster pace. So I think that whole obsolescence, you know, was happening even even in the past. I think it took a generation to uh, sort of, uh, you know, see that the steel industry jobs are gone in the U.S. or the auto industry jobs are gone in Detroit or whatever. Uh, I think these days uh, things are happening at a much, much more faster pace because all the exponential technology that exists, they are able to uh, create obsolescence of the previous technology faster. And therefore, uh, that 440 rule doesn't apply because in, in the past things changed in 40 years, then 20 and now 5. And therefore, you need to keep reinventing. And like I said, you know, maybe our kids will have uh, four or five careers in the traditional sense, uh, but uh, maybe one career if they are kind of aligned to a higher purpose and they solve that problem through uh, working in a capitalist environment, working in a in a, in a a social impact environment, working as an entrepreneur, working as whatever. So I think it depends on how you define your uh, career and so on and so forth. And the last thread that I'll bring up is that, you know, and that's something that I talk to a lot of college students about that uh, don't seek a job because uh, many of these things that you seek uh, did not exist uh, some years ago. So maybe you can be the job creator, the creator of a new discipline, like you said, the YouTuber, or the creator of a new company that you know you could create and say, I'm going to solve this problem, which no one has solved before, anything like that. Uh, Sony is maybe a slightly long-winded answer to your question, but I thought these uh, various strands that come to my mind are relevant to the question that you asked. No, Pankaj, uh, whenever you share some things, it definitely makes a big impact. And we have Prakash on the stage. Pankaj, you did prompt that uh, Prakash had raised his hand. So Prakash, you have anything to share on this topic or provide perspectives? Yeah, hi. Yeah, hi, Anish. Thanks for getting me here. Uh, thank you, Monica, for setting up the roof. And uh, Pankaj, lovely to meet you. 
um, you know, like uh, I'm just picking up one of the threads that you, uh, you know, like uh, first of all, brilliant articulation, the way you put the three Ps, and uh, you know, like uh, it is uh, definitely indicating to the fact that you know, like uh, uh, you know, like I wanted to, you know, kind of uh, add to your point that essentially the key skill is the your ability to think. Unfortunately, there is still not a program called a Masters of Thinking, or you know, like, a, and it naturally, you know, kind of kids have to start picking it up at an early age as to how do you break down a, a problem to solve, or even if there is no problem to solve, how do you, you know, kind of react to a situation by way of intelligent thinking, and that is kind of an underlying, underpinning key skill that will be needed and become even more relevant as you need to be more agile into the constantly shortening. Uh, uh, cycles of obsolescence as as civilization is experiencing it to be, so that's uh, I think uh, th that is very important. Now, which brings us to the next point that uh, you know how is this industry going to react? Uh, there are two. There are the point that I'm to want I'm now going to make will have two aspects to it. One aspect is that a young, a very young professional can come into the industry and be absolutely fantastic at doing at something, doing something in a particular space of data science management or building a framework or building an automation uh, or whatever it may be. He may be really brilliant at it. And, uh, you know, like, how do you value the skill that he brings in the table as opposed to, let's say, a professional of 20 years of experience who brings the, that experiential set and that, that enables the thinking in the room and does not have the same kind of skills which is required to, you know, kind of... Uh, set up the data lake or set up the, you know, like the, the AI um, uh, infrastructure of the organization. So that's one part. And the other part is that how do you, as, as younger people come and, you know, kind of keep acquiring newer skills, which are in vogue at that point of time, how do you, you know, kind of uh, help them internalize that uh, important pivot, you know, like anchor their whole behavior in that important pivot? That skill is one thing. And thinking, ability to think, moderated by the by the by the journey, professional journey or life journey that they have had, is another thing. And the both need to be married in order to achieve the purpose and and the product and the process that is needed. Prakash, thank you so much. I think you <laughs> triggered some really <laughs> good thoughts, and I have to say I do think about some of these things. So let me again share a few perspectives that have been triggered in my head based on what you just mentioned, and they are absolutely fantastic ideas that you kind of triggered, Prakash. Thanks for that. Uh, so first of all, I was looking at my daughter who just went to college. Uh, she just started two weeks ago, and she's gone to this uh, new university where actually no one has graduated so far. It's called Kriya, K-R-E-A, and it's uh, it's uh, in the south of India, and I think the first batch will graduate next year. So so I think I was just telling my friend that this is what she's doing, and I have not been very engaged in her <laughs> in her studies. So they said, but, but what do they teach? So I actually came back and asked her, what course are you reading? And she said, uh, uh, creative writing, logical reasoning, something related to ethics, something related to philosophy. And I said, wow, uh, you know, I, I never read any of these courses either in school or college. Uh, then I was talking this morning to a few friends of mine, uh, you know, over over uh, my cycling trip uh, where where I learned that uh, there's this uh, guy, uh, Ricardo Semler, some of you may have heard of him. He was very famous. He wrote a book called Maverick, uh, where he, had, he just turned the whole uh, management thinking on its head and did things very differently. And uh, and he's apparently started some schools. So I said, okay, so what do they teach in that school? And he said, uh, the, the teaching, the courses could be something like, uh, you know, how to assemble a bicycle. And if you have to assemble a bicycle, you better know the value of pi. And then you also know why pi is relevant for you to memorize and things like that. 
you know so i think the point that i wanted to you know make prakash is that i think our education system uh, the way i see it today is undergoing a, a change my 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 view is and like i said i'm 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 not a big thinker about how history has shaped these things but my guess is that this in this this whole uh, education system that we have uh, came uh, thanks to the industrial revolution uh, which was rooted in the era of manufacturing and hierarchy and uh, you know the whole uh, uh, waterfall way of thinking where someone at the top knew what is to be done uh, we will make a car and uh, as long as it is black people will buy it and things of that nature and therefore the whole the whole system whether it was the manufacturing system or the 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 education system which was feeding those factories was designed to serve that purpose and it lasted for many years so i think somehow my view is that all of our ideas thoughts questions that we ask are uh, rooted in the 150 years of the education system that we have seen which was thanks to the industrial revolution and now i think the world has changed we are in the world of agile we are required to have a growth mindset uh, so the first thing that i tell people that if you have asked me a question or if you asked yourself a question you should first check whether that question is rooted in the right framework because maybe that question was rooted in the waterfall era and it's not relevant anymore so maybe you should change your question maybe ask yourself the five why and find the right question Uh, so prakash i i don't think i have an answer to your question but i do have some thoughts where i think that the whole education system the way it exists today uh, needs to undergo a radical change because if your consumer if your uh, industry where there is no the, the taxonomy of which industry are you in is is uh, is irrelevant uh, which industry is amazon in and the answer would vary every 3 years 5 years or whatever Uh, so i think the the whole framework has changed but our education system is still a, a bit old and i think education system remains that way because it's hard to change an education system where the product is seen uh, 12 to 15 years later so it will change a bit slowly but i see a lot of uh, green shoots around me where things are changing and i hope that uh, the new system which comes about promotes a lot more critical thinking and i keep saying that the solution space of solving problem in which we grew up in Uh, is commoditized i can put a problem on kaggle and someone will probably solve it for me for free and i don't even have to pay for it i think the premium is in the problem definition space so i would think uh, prakash that the, the way i look at the future is that uh, the problem definition is where the value is in the past problem solutioning was where the value was because people had some you know defined set of needs if someone defined what those needs were uh, the solution space is where the creativity used to occur today when our uh, you know um, tummy is full and some of us have sort of moved up the maslow's hierarchy uh, i think the problem space is where the value will be created because there are umpteen number of problems worth solving and people who pick the right problems to solve is the ones who are creating value that i think to me also explains some of these startup ecosystem that these guys are picking up stuff uh, you know way differently from all the others did but uh, but that's what i think because but thanks for triggering those thoughts and there's something i'll probably think a bit more about uh, now that you've triggered it well it's my pleasure to listen to you pankaj thanks a lot hey anis i'd like to step in because i have to uh, i have a janmashtami celebration uh, prayer meeting which is happening so i want to ask pankaj two questions can i cut the line pankaj first of all a pleasure listening to you and especially because of how simply you have pro- provided everything that i thought is a lot of executive speak but you've done it so honestly transparently that i really enjoyed the conversation and therefore i'm asking you this question we've been hearing a lot about it hiring we've been talking about tech skills and we've been talking about the future of the workforce especially offset against what we are seeing as probably non linear growth in the last year because of covid and digitization 
but i'm very confused as to what a cxos would be your ability and therefore your focus to be able to provide a better quality of life or be able to upskill these folks with better tech skills so that they are integral part of our companies and are not you know uh, leaving in droves towards other uh, i would think more attractive offers that being one and second the their ability to also have a longer term career because uh, it seems that uh, they everybody wants to um, be independent and retire very quickly the fire principle and you know how these things are in terms of how these fads are appearing and i call them a fad and i'm sure i, I can be corrected but i would love to get your take on this especially because you've seen the cycles of evolution and technology growth and then there's a question on the back channel that i would address to you in a bit Thanks, thanks, Monica. Thanks for asking that question. And I have to say, some of us who have uh, seen the past are probably the uh, <laughs> worst position to answer what is going to happen in future because our moorings are so much in the past that for us to uh, unshackle our past learning and think about the future is harder. But I'll still, you know, attempt to do that. Uh, so I think the, you know, I, you know, I will, I will. Uh, probably start with the uh, example of uh, what's happening in china and my interpretation of it and i'll bring it back to uh, what's going to happen what is happening and how i think about uh, things frankly in my own uh, you know around me and how my decisions are getting shaped so if i look at what's happening to the edtech in china and and these are purely like i said my own interpretation and maybe if i'm wrong then so be it but you have to just take the essence of my storyline because the, you know what's what's happening in china is not important but my thinking about it is what is important which will i bring it to you know how i'm thinking Uh, so to me the whole um, edtech uh, ban so to say to say hey uh, edtech companies can't be making money they should be non profit companies which which china has done and a lot of people were you know very furious and very unhappy and they said this is a threat to capitalism and how can china do this and that and all of that uh, but my interpretation is that the the, the chinese government thinks 50 years are thinking about their own countries that uh, you know they had a one child policy which led to and, and there is a fantastic uh, movie called one child nation on netflix that i saw Uh, they whichever way they they sort of achieved it i think now they are realizing it that their population going to just uh, drop off the cliff and they they can't uh, you know live with that and they started the two child policy and now the three child policy but how do you change behavior of your population to have uh, more children and i think uh, having a lower cost of uh, bringing up a family is an important part of it education being one part of it i'm sure there is real estate and many other things so i think their whole focus of policy would be to see how do we you know promote our long term national interest and everything else whether it is this or that has to be subservient or rather serve that national interest so in, in that national interest i think the whole high cost of education doesn't help so they're saying hey, you can't make money in education it should be just free and everyone should just be able to do that by the way in our country we 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 had a similar thought process that uh, you know education should not be a profit making venture unfortunately or fortunately tutoring or tuition can be uh, but that's not what china is so i think what i'm saying is china did something which looks very you know ad hoc or this thing but it is trying to serve the long term uh, interest so bringing to my own thinking about today so i am let's say and i'm giving you an example of my own company and and this is sort of for now very very early but you know i'm doing data analytics for a large conglomerate and my job is to help uh, them become better so the way i would think about the talent in my team would be to say you know you are data scientist or you are a premium skill but my view would be uh, that i would like to hire people who would uh, love to be business leaders tomorrow uh, who would love to lead businesses and have a data analytics mindset just like the six sigma people that i spoke about that you know your aspiration should not be to retire as a data scientist but should should become a business leader with this skill set and other skill sets 
And therefore, I would love to promote people to, you know, do this for some time, go somewhere else, do a strategy role, do another operational role, and, you know, hone yourself and become more, uh, you know, uh, cross-functional and holistic. And I would allow more people to come in here. I think if I had that thought process, then giving some uh, a, a lot of crazy salary to a lot of these specialized people for too long will defeat the purpose. Because if I was paying very high and very differentially high salaries to these people, they wouldn't want to go anywhere else. They'd say, hey, this is the place to earn a lot more money. Why would I change my job? And if anyone else elsewhere in the company would want to you know, come into this job because that's where you get paid more. Uh, so I think my approach to compensation would be to get folks uh, who don't want to make the quick buck and, uh, you know, want to just remain uh, uh, just, uh, you know, that premium skill, maybe a few. But the large number of people should have the aspiration or the enthusiasm uh, to become business leader, pick up new skills and things of that nature. So that's the type of thinking that I have that, you know, uh, certain skills will have a premium, uh, but that will go down. And if some of the people become too specialized for too long, um, I don't know. Maybe they can. They can. They can. They are happy with that. But I think that if they don't develop other skills, uh, it will be harder to succeed. Uh, because more than before, today and the future will rely a lot more on collaboration and ecosystem. And collaboration and ecosystem does come, doesn't come just through one specialist. You have to develop many more skills to be able to handshake with other skill set. And some of the cases, you better go there and pick up those skill sets. Uh, so the long and short of it that I, I, I don't believe in fancy salaries as a way of retaining talent. To me, it is a short-term move and, you know, some people will benefit from it and so be it. But if I were to bring, uh, build a long-term sustainable, you know, organization with a purpose, I would rather get people who are, uh, you know, aligned to their purpose, uh, willing to stay the long-term, picking up different skills and not get hyped about, you know, making a quick buck in the next three to five years. But then that's me and maybe I, I, maybe I won't get the best talent and change my mind. But right now, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Pankaj, you have explained the conundrum that we are all facing and thanks to your excellent articulation, I feel a little bit more validated but I think it will take a lot of time in order to be able to really balance out in our heads as to what is happening in the outside world. But Pankaj, there is a brilliant question from Anil in the blue uh, in the first row. He's Capital Calculus on Twitter and is a renowned journalist and I'm very glad that he has attended this room. His question is, um, uh, his question to you is, uh, one thing in this makeover is institutional memory in an organization. How does Pankaj rate its relevance in the new era? Yeah, that's a very, <laughs> that's an excellent question. And I think it, it uh, depends on where you are. So, you know, again, the, yesterday I was having a chat with a bunch of people and we have, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to be in a, in a place where I enjoy running and cycling and all of that. And the group of people that I engage with are from all walks of life and all different ages and uh, one of the things that I do over the weekend is uh, not just cycle and run, but chat with them. So this is a run-versation and a cycle-versation. And we have been starting about this whole uh, you know, startup ecosystem, careers, things like that for a while. So I'll, I'll share with you what I've, I've been learning. Like I said, uh, learning is an ever-going uh, uh, quest. Uh, so the institutional memory question, so if I, let's say, work for the other Tabilla group, which I do today, uh, there's, there's a way to... Think about institutional memory where there's a founder. I used to work for Dell. Michael Dell was the founder over there. And there are many founder-led companies. I think in some of those firms, and here I'm very new, but I would imagine uh, that the institutional memory is very critical because the founder is over there uh, who carries a legacy of not just his own, but of his father and grandfather and all of that. And there's a lot of uh, institutional memory already inbuilt, and some of it may not be even uh, you know known to them. And therefore, you need to understand and respect and deal with it. But if you were working in a 
in a new startup which started three or five years ago, their institutional memory is fairly short and their goals and purposes might be very different. Uh, so I think uh, I think we need to take that into account when you know thinking about new businesses. So if 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 you were a new upstart, um, you might want to you know let's say. Uh, launch a new company in edtech, uh, you know, uh, somehow uh, create a lot of uh, downloads and eyeballs and all of that, uh, still be loss making and sell yourself out in three to five years and get done with it. But maybe if you're working in a large institution uh, who is not in the game of, let's say, uh, you know, creating value and selling it out while they're making a loss, but actually sustaining a long-term business, then you should be also thinking about the profitability that that uh, business can generate. And some of us, uh, you know, can see around us lots of uh, new companies coming in, um, getting sold off even before they turn a profit. And I think the people who are buying it are seeing some more longer term value in the data that they have uh, gathered or the business model that they've created and so on and so forth. Uh, uh, but I think uh, every institution has to respect their own memory and be subservient to that. Just like my, my analogy of the national construct uh, of China that, you know, End of the day, everyone is part of an institution, a country, a thought process or whatever. And clearly you have to play the game uh, which is aligned to that uh, institutional memory, Monica. Brilliant, Pankaj. I'm really glad to first of all get this question and then get such a brilliant response. I think it helps all of us uh, explain and understand this a little better from the, especially the CXO perspective. Really appreciate you making the time on a Sunday and happy Janmashmi to everyone. Same to you, uh, Monica. Uh, so, Kai, you've been waiting patiently and you've been on the stage. So, you, you have any perspectives? And I've uh, been in uh, clubhouse and rooms where you've shared a lot of perspective about education and future of workforce. Uh, so, do you have any thoughts on the conversation which we've been having today? Absolutely. A nice and um, lots of thoughts. Um, <clears throat> really good, uh, first of all, to, to be in this room. I, I love the name of the clubs so much. The Asian Digital Supermovers. And <laughs> I, I think it is some way that it, it describes a part of me because I, I was really um, fortunate to be uh, described by a Indian uh, XR, so extended reality podcaster, uh, to be uh, one of the top 50 um, movers and shakers in Asia uh, for the XR industry. So I, he, he ranked me number 14. So I was really fortunate. And um, I, I've been to India four times and uh, as well. I have lots of Indian friends and uh, had uh, the joys of working with lots of Indian companies and uh, extremely impressive uh, and skillful and respectable individuals. And uh, so um, so I feel this is, uh, this is my family. This is where I fit in. And uh, I also uh, really fascinated of, of Pankash uh, interpretation of the EdTech uh, policy uh, in China that is uh, publicized a lot recently. Uh, as, uh, as people can see from my bio, I, I'm very, very heavy in education technology. And um, I, I, I actually operate on a global scale. My product is in more than 60 countries. Uh, but of course, uh, I was born in China. I spent the first, thing, first 17 years of my life in China. I operate uh, two startups in China. So I know um, a lot about the, the kind of the back channel of, uh, of all these um, uh, the Chinese policies for education. In fact, I knew about this uh, more than a year ago. Uh, so a little um, correction, uh, not really correction, but uh, perhaps the, the added perspective I'd like to build upon, in addition to what Pankash mentioned, is that uh, this is not Chinese government want to make education more affordable or cheaper. 
in fact, this is uh, the Chinese uh, overall policy to prevent a uh, slow but uh, certain death of education, uh, or if you like, the involution of education. Because for too long, um, the ed education industry in China is all about helping the people who can afford to pay money to actually gain fantastic exam result, And then uh, a large proportion of them would end up working in a kind of like a, a, in, a, in a very, uh, shall I say, productive job in uh, Europe or United States. Uh, they're not producing the, the, in the, the innovation and uh, the kind of like a, the, the real social and economical capital uh, for China. And uh, so Chinese government has made this massive change, which takes a lot of courage because it's literally killing about 80% of the EdTech um, in, uh, investment ecosystem uh, in order to promote the learning of real creativity and innovation and art. Uh, and of course, the other side is, uh, is the result of the intensifying Cold War that U.S. has uh, set up on China. And so therefore, China, Chinese government wants to get tighter control of education. So that actually is a real um, driver behind the recent changes. Now, fortunately, for, for too long, I have been personally an advocate of education for creativity, for happiness, and for skills. As you can see that uh, my company, Mel Science, uh, is all about um, inspire happiness and, uh, and the kind of a creativity and observation uh, for children and parents to actually pay more attention to, to science. It's not about the exams. Uh, because most of the, the scientists behind uh, male science, we, we all used to be brilliant uh, in, in academic in schools, uh, but we, we, we're brilliant not because we have to pass the exam, because we, we just love science. I used to be the champion of Chinese biology Olympiad. Right, and then, in fact, four of um, our twenty uh, research scientists in uh, male science used to be gold medalists in international chemistry and physics Olympiad. You do not reach this level at your age group simply by trying to memorize things. We we actually we all have so much passion to learn science, and I, we we felt that we want to create a company so that we can inject passion and the happiness of science learning to the society, to the global community. And then a part of the driver is actually very relevant to the, to the subject of today's discussion, that is the, the, the age of technology. I mean, I'm talking about uh, my son is 11 this year. So he, he actually uh, graduated from his primary school uh, during these two pandemic years in the in United Kingdom. So I'm, I'm really proud of him. I remember when I was 11, my most technical thing was actually writing diary and, and trying to listen, to try to actually play with cassette players, to listen to music. But my son, at the age of 11, what he does is that he does a lot of YouTube uh, videos. He passionately creates YouTube videos of both funny natures or animation or signs. And, um, and he will compose uh, digital music into his um, YouTube, video, YouTube channel as well. And so that shows the difference. My son keeps telling me, Daddy, I want to design a really interesting and a kind of boon video contents to describe six different forms of energy. Heck, I used to be a brilliant student. Guys, I used to be like the, 
I, when I was in Beijing, I used to be、um, a member of、uh, the top five school in Beijing. Can you imagine Beijing? I was、uh, probably one of the best students in the top five school in Beijing. And then, but my son is today. His level of creativity, innovation, and master of technology for me is just like super impressive. And he's not alone. His a lot of his mates are doing even better. And not because I pressurize him to to do so, because he's interested in doing so. So this shows a difference of thirty six years. My son and I have a difference of thirty six years. And if we if we go back to our grandfather, as we can remember, those days, perhaps people would spend five years to to be in schools. And if you remember the the kind of thickness of the biology or chemistry textbook. Compare with the thickness of today's biology and chemistry textbook, we are talking about during the last perhaps seventy、um, years, you know, and、uh, the human being has has decided to spend three times as much time in schools as a standard for education, but we actually have to learn three hundred times the kind of technology or science knowledge, and that difference is is actually. But accelerating, so I, I agree entirely that education has to fundamentally change, because the, the old kind of like exam-based kind of a certificate certificate certification-based system that is as Pankaj rightly pointed out, born from the days of industrial revolution, just will not do because we cannot put people, our future generations, in school for fifty years. We have to inspire children to. Master technology, to be in command of technology and knowledge, rather than memorize things. They need to understand the essence of things and to be able to work in teams. And that team, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, doesn't just mean other human being. It actually means artificial intelligence. Because today, anything we ask Google, we can get a answer. What next? You then need to take action on it. You need to have a purpose. You need to find problem, and these kind of skills are what we loosely term a soft skill. But I think it's a lot more complicated than that. You need to design. You need to educate the children to develop a sense of purpose, to be able to define the problem, define the kind of like the, the boundary of the problem, and to work the solution to be able to resolve it. And if he can do that, he will be in command of artificial intelligence. He would be in partner with other great. Uh, human beings or great mind, he will have happiness. He will have productivity. He will not lose job. Otherwise, if you stuck yourself to be a taxi driver, a financial analyst, a accountant, a lawyer, your job might disappear tomorrow. So I think yes, I agree. Education has to change, and a lot of country, a lot of、um, a lot of outstanding individuals are doing precisely that,、uh, such as Rob Hoban of Netherlands. He invented a school called Agora School. A girls' school is a school with no syllabus, no exam, no classrooms. Yeah, twelve to eighteen years old children would discuss their goals with their mentor, set a goal, and go ahead to do all the research and complete the goal. It's very similar to what we do now as an entrepreneurship entrepreneur. And I am a serial entrepreneur. I know exactly how it works. And I felt this kind of education will have mileage. Will deliver value, will deliver love and passion, and it will deliver outstanding future leaders. That 
what we need to do. So that is my little contribution on this lovely Sunday to this room and to this subject. Let me hand over the mic back to our brilliant moderator. Thank you very much. Thanks, Guy. I think uh, you've touched upon from an education point of view and how does that impact workforce in a very brilliant way. Uh, Pankaj, we'll come back to you on uh, on sharing your thoughts on that, but Arvind and Nisha have been waiting patiently, so we'll just pick on them and then we'll come back to you. Uh, Arvind, thanks for joining us on the stage. Uh, I don't know if you have any perspectives to share or ask questions or with any of the speakers on the stage. Hey, uh, thanks, Anis, and thanks, Pankaj. This has been a really awesome room with a lot of insights. So I did have a couple of questions. So let me start with the first one, right? So speaking of some of the path-breaking things China has been doing, uh, another one I'm sure many of us would have read uh, this recent past uh, two days or something, uh, the Chinese uh, cyberspace watchdog, right? Uh, they published certain draft regulations for how algorithms, recommendation algorithms, uh, etc. should be thought about going forward, right? Uh, so far, it was almost like the Wild West. Uh, but some of the interesting things uh, supposedly mentioned in this uh, uh, published list of regulations include that uh, every person, as an example, should be allowed the option to consume an unpersonalized uh, feed if that is their choice or they should be told which are the reasons why a particular recommendation was made to them, and so on and so forth. So a lot of interesting uh, aspects discussed there, a lot of um, uh, discussions that it can uh, spark off. So basically, already this and other such uh, measures are perhaps moving uh, a lot of the thought in, let me pick just AI as an example for a technology, right? So now... Uh, lot more people are required to think of AI from the ethical standpoint, from the policy standpoint. Uh, maybe it is far more important now to uh, be able to come up with business models that leverage AI well, as opposed to, let's say, coming up with just the new uh, best AI model, right? So uh, AI as such uh, has an outlet for artists. Uh, if you take GANs and uh, it's early days now, but still over time, even artists uh, uh, can interface with AI and it becomes maybe a form of expression for them, law, philosophy. All of these slightly uh, tangential seeming areas are now... Uh, going to be more and more connected with AI and uh, going forward, these could become more important as opposed to previously, if we think of AI, it's mostly probably linked to statisticians, mathematicians, researchers, computer scientists, physics grads, and so on, right? So this kind of uh, evolution is probably parallel to how technologies evolve in general. They start out in a particular manner and over time, they become embedded enough that... Uh, every such slightly tangential seeming uh, area uh, gets linked to AI, right? So, uh, would love to hear the thoughts, Pankaj, you have, and even other folks on the forum that, uh, how do you see, uh, as an example, AI as a technology evolving, how do you see other such, uh, uh, I don't know how to put it, domains or whatever, like uh, policy, AI policy or... Uh, philosophy in AI or business models related to AI, how do you see those things becoming far more important compared to just the algos that are still most important as of date? 
Thanks, Arvind. Really, really great question. But before I go to that, I have to thank Anis for bringing Kai into the discussion and um, educating me on uh, some of the aspects. So thank you, Kai, very much. I, I really appreciated uh, your perspectives and learned something new. So thanks for that. Um, going on to some of the thoughts that come to mind, Arvind, uh, based on the question that you raised, um, you know, I tend to sort of go back to the basics. In my view, the way I look at it is the, the I mean, I kind of look at this uh, BCAD uh, of, of our world, uh, the, the BC was the the more deterministic, predictable, uh, waterfallian world. And today now we have this whole growth mindset oriented, agile, ever evolving world, which keeps reinventing itself all the time. So if I were to look at those two scenarios, I think the policies and processes that were made in the past, you know, they, they sort of generally had a view of, you know, what the contours of the playground were. You know, we used to have five-year plans. I think today you can't have a five-year plan because no one has any clue or you can't have a five-year strategy because no one knows where it's going to be headed. In fact, that's probably the wrong question to ask, right? So in my opinion, I think the way we need to write policies or procedures or ethics and all of those has to also undergo a change. And my personal guess is that uh, we will not be able to imagine, um, you know, every future possibility. And I suspect uh, we might continue to remain a bit of, uh, you know, reactionary in that sense to say, hey, we didn't even know this could happen. And now let's try and immediately sort of find a way to remedy it or put rules in place which can do that. So I think uh, the only one big thought in my mind, Arvind, is that uh, uh, policy making regulation in the past was slightly easier because the exceptions arose uh, uh, far, far, you know, few and far in between over a period of time. I think the way if we want all these inventions and innovations to happen all the time at, uh, you know, rapid scale, uh, I think that people will not be able to predict all the loopholes that might exist in the current thinking on the way the policies and regulations are. And therefore, those regulators and policymakers have to be far more adept at, in, at continuously, I would say, use the same AI uh, to get some signals from the market and try to correct those uh, things which may be loopholes which are there because people will continue to find loopholes and try to do those things. So that's the only one big thought in my mind that uh, the policymakers and the rule makers have to be more, more proactive, more agile uh, and, and and keep keep looking at uh, uh, what they have done, and is it uh, serving the purpose, or that service uh, ser that that purpose needs to be uh, sort of uh, redrafted, so to say. But hope happy to hear other you know perspectives. I'm sure in this room there are several people who probably might have uh, you know other ideas which I think everyone can benefit from. So Anis, over back to you. Yeah. So um, uh, yes, Anis, thank you so much. Um, um, you know, uh, good evening to the moderators if they are in India or whichever part of India, and um, you know, um, greetings to all the listeners and speakers here. So I, you know, just adding to what Aravind uh, uh, Aravind said just now. You know, I put two kids. My daughter is twenty-one years old, and she is uh, she studies in uh, US. Uh, she's doing um, a dual major in CSDA, they call it in NYU, it's called Computer Science and Data Analytics. And I have a 13-year-old son uh, who is very, very interest, interested in mathematics, technology and physics, but none of the other subjects. So uh, so it's a very, uh, so, so yes, the technology is a very big part of it. And I'll start with recounting two incidences that happened very recently. So my daughter has got a um, internship in Merrill Lynch in NU, which she doesn't want to take because it's in finance and investment banking. And her dad, who is a technocrat himself, they had a very interesting conversation and he wanted her to do this. He wants her to do this. And she is very clear that she really doesn't want to do it. And she and so so the she said that dad in financial 
is done now we will be moving to bitcoins and blockchain what are you talking about and so so of course we didn't have an answer to that and honestly that actually made me and then she you know the discussion went down south and too much of drama and then she started crying and she said mom you have to tell that to leave me alone and i want to do what i want to i know what i'm doing in life i said well when i was your age i had no idea what i was doing in life but if you say so so that was one conversation we had and uh, and the second conversation i had with my son who has built his entire community on discord and some problem happened and uh, and he was just explaining how he's going to solve it and he said to me that you know what mom i have tapped into the collective consciousness of the community uh, internet community and you know what it is even better than quantum physics you know the too many words too many wordy words and i said how did you do that i said yeah yeah we figured out the solution we solved something and i said okay and both these conversations went off you know zoom past my head i will i will not pretend to be knower of anything but i know one thing for sure is that we have no clue where ai and technology is going we actually do not have that clue we are trying to find the answers with the limitation of our own experiences which comes from which was a residual of the industrial age which are which was our parents age into the it age which we lived through but the, we are currently living in digital uh, transformation and all the digital age but by the time uh, these kids actually come to the workforce the world will have changed beyond our recognition and um, as you know um, as pankaj uh, pankaj rightly said that you know we have we're trying to find we are reacting it reacting to it but we are not the co-creators of the tomorrow's world we are not and we will not ever ever be because the way the world is changing the way technology has altered the entire landscape be it culture be it um, economic be it financial um internet has become the biggest democracy right now even though we are defined by the nations or so called uh, national borders but none of this is going to hold true in 20 years from now i have every reason to believe that the way the kids are going to work my 13 year is going to work honestly i cannot even imagine his office it could be you know a beach in bali or it could be much high tech you know apple office kind of a place i really don't know or even in this outer space as well i have no idea but so what we are discussing right now is very limited with our own experiences and perceptions um we have done our bit i guess and that is why i worry when people are sitting people who are making policies are so old and so jaded that they cannot even envisage the world the way the world is changing they have they have they don't have the grip on it they cannot even imagine it and that actually brings me to the wise uh, umar khayyam who said that our children live in the future we cannot where we cannot even go not even in our dreams so uh, we can only talk of what is happening right now uh, possibly 2 years possibly at most next 5 years but anything over and beyond that honestly i don't think we can do that um but one thing is for sure that whatever is going to happen our kids are going to be very well equipped for it because they are the ones who are going to be co-creating this so i'm nisha and i'm complete yeah yeah it, yes thank you very much anish um and i will make this point and leave also but, but this is a fascinating discussion i'm so glad that i 
just walked into the room. But thank you very much. Uh, so, Nisha, I'll just add to your point. Three years ago, my, my, my younger son, who was like nine years old, and we were walking on the streets of London one day, and I just asked him, um, what do you want to be when you... We were listening to some music, and I was trying to expose to him to Beatles and all the, you know, kind of music of our times. And uh, I just said, what do you want to be in life when you grow up? And he is good at the piano. Also. So, so he says that, Dad, I want to make human beings, I want to make human beings an empowered species. So, and I would like kind of like, just took a step back. What did you mean by that? You know, we're empowered species. So he says, can you illustrate? So he says, look, uh, and that time we had no COVID and all. So, so he says that, look, um, I find that most of the time we are treating ailments by using chemistry. We should be treating ailments using biology. So, you know, like, uh, and, and then, you know, like he, and he's very fascinated both in astrophysics and he likes to watch the suns and the stars and he knows a lot about it. And also at the molecular level, he's very interested in human cells. How do cells, you know, like, and he reads more than he should be reading about it. So, so very fascinating. And, uh, you know, like, uh, I completely agree with your point. It's very hard to imagine how our kids will be. And, uh, and what the work environment will be 20 years down the line. But as responsible parents and as, as a part of responsible parenting package, I think we should constantly instill them in them the very important uh, role of purpose, which the, the thing which Pankaj mentioned about purpose, product, and process. So, you know, so long we give them the right pivots and we, we give them the right mechanism to think about the purpose of their life, which could change over years and, and could be, you know, kind of, you could have a purpose for five years and also tell them that life is a journey. Therefore, the purpose could, could change and should change. Uh, so I think we need not be too much worried about it. So, so I think things will be all fine and it will be a happy world. So thanks a lot. But that, yes. Prakash, I, I could not And you know, that day, and, and that day, you know, like I felt almost reassured. Um, after that, I've never really bothered about what the future, the career of my kids is going to be. So perhaps I will never end up having an argument with my son as to which organization he will join. Because, you know, I got really reassured that that evening that that probably my son will be his own best guide to choose the career that he needs to opt for and steer his way through. All I need to do is to, you know, kind of give him the right frameworks, the right pivots, and to probably enable in a limited way his journey through those pivots and frameworks. Fantastic. I, I couldn't agree more with you, Prakash. And this is exactly what I was. I always tell my husband that, you know, just let them be because we can only, we are very limited with our own experiences. And, you know, in the Maslow's theory of hierarchy, they're almost at the, you know, self-actualization stage. That's what they talk about. Whereas we were, you know, uh, our parents were on level one and two, perhaps we were at level three and four, and they are already at four or five. They're born, they were born at a level where, you know, a lot of things were already done for them. So that is why they can tap into their, um, you know, the higher Life. consciousness or, yes, absolutely. And they are thinking, they, the, the, the conversation, I was like, but I, I was just zapped when my son said, oh, I tapped into the collective consciousness of the community. And you know what, mom? I, you know, we find a solution and it's like, it's better than quantum physics. And I, this is this is exactly what he said. 
and my head is reeling at that point of time well, i when 13 i had no idea i was only busy liking amir khan for that matter and here he is talking about quantum consciousness so i think these kids are really evolved they are brilliant they their neurons are connected in a way that we cannot even fathom and they are in a good place and the framework the the fact that you talk about the, providing the right framework i think that's the best we can do at you know as parents and i think uh, once if you are able to do that then our job is done so yes Prakash, thank you so much lovely to speak meet you nisha lovely to meet everybody thanks and bye for now enjoy your weekend rest of your weekend see you around bye bye thanks prakash and thanks nisha for uh, doing that uh, i would say use the hindi word jugalbandi between the two uh so i'll just quickly reset the room and i'll get nazila thanks for being patient uh so hello everyone um This is Asian Digital Super Movers Club, where we get different experts and OGs from different walks of life. Today, we are joined by Pankaj Rai, who is the Chief Data and Analytics Officer at Aditya Birla Group. Uh, so, we are talking about the future of workforce in AI and tech, uh, in the age of age of AI, AI and tech. And we've had some amazing and fascinating conversation going on for the last one hour. And we'll continue the conversation for 30 more minutes and then we'll end the room. But before we do that, Nazila, uh, thank you for being patient and being on the stage uh, and participating. Do you have any thoughts or perspectives or questions uh, for people on the stage? Uh, sure. Um, thank you. And thanks to Monica for inviting me. Uh, this is such a really good discussion. Uh, you know, I've always thought about the educational system itself and its need to be more agile. Uh, I can sort of speak from the U.S. perspective because I know we sort of touched upon, uh, you know, India and China. And I know coming from an U.S., mostly U.S. educational system, uh, I definitely didn't feel like I learned how to learn. Uh, there was like really no problem solving or financial literacy or much soft skills or creativity that's taught in most uh, American schools. And unfortunately, they also sort of teach people how to take tests and get it or get into college or just become workers and not innovators. And um, I think this is sort of perhaps a global problem with educational systems and they are definitely not equipped uh you know to sort of train people you know because we don't have like pankaj and nisha and everybody said we don't have five year plans anymore because everything changes so constantly um so that creativity and that need to be innovative is something that uh unfortunately i think parents uh, themselves have to teach them and i think everybody in the stage is you know you're in a fortunate position to kind of equip your children with that but i don't know if all families have that um you know system in place themselves thank you no uh, you brought up a very interesting point nazila which is uh, the concept of how to learn and how to teach yourself uh, and that's going to determine success for many of us it's not just the people who are or kids or children who are in the education system right now but for many of us who still have few years or decades to still continue to work uh, and i would like to bring pankaj because i know he's uh, connected engaged with a lot of institutions and corporate bodies and uh, so pankaj what's your thought on the entire concept of the skill of learning and how to learn on your own 
Thanks, Anish, and fascinating discussion between you know Prabhakar and Nisha and now Nazila. So I I do want to make a couple of other points which just struck my mind uh, listening to these discussions. So so I think the the one thing that I want to say is I think the whole uh, uh, you know the career uh, you know our company our job. Uh, in my mind, all of this is a expression of uh, human imagination. <laughs> Maybe using big words, but that's what I really think. That what's all of this? This is end of the day, someone wanted to do something, and this is an expression. Now, I think in the past, our tools and techniques to give expression to our imagination were limited, and now suddenly they have just you know become unlimited, and not just AI. There are so many other technologies. So I think the point that I'm making is that a lot of people think about careers and some of these things in a very limited fashion, uh, because the tools and techniques that were available in the past were very few, and we did not allow our imagination to run wild, uh, because you know you could imagine anything, but uh, you know you could not express it because the tools are not available. And now I think our children have inherited a world, uh, like Nisha said, uh, who just inherited a world of abundance. Uh, we are all, uh, you know, born in the world of scarcity, where uh, you know things, the whole mental model, and every question that we ask for a very, you know, question of the the scarcity mindset. And I, in this world of abundance, I think they are willing to give expression to, you know, every imagination they have, and they can actually do it. Uh, so I think in my mind the whole problem today is that we are asking the wrong question. Those questions were relevant in the scarcity era. I think those questions are not relevant. And if someone asks them, we should say change the question because you know your perspective is probably warped. It's old, old-fashioned, and that world does not exist anymore. We have come to a new world where different questions need to be asked. Uh, so I think if you were to think about all these tools, techniques, AI's jobs, all of those as an opportunity for you to express yourself. I think the world will be so different. I think we will seeking. We should be seeking out new problems because those are the expressions of our imagination, and we'll be solving them using these tools. So I think when people talk about, you know, I have an AI first company, I have an AI first strategy. I say, you know what? I think you should have a purpose first strategy. And AI happens to be the newest technology on the block, which allows you to do that. Maybe tomorrow there's something else. So I want to sort of, uh, you know, turn this question in a different way to say, end of the day, human beings are creative. They want create. expression of all their imagination we are being allowed to do many more things than we could be could do before can we just remember to be that and all of these other things are a means to an end uh, i think that line of thinking would you know promote far more a uh, positive way of looking at it because today a lot of people are just scared i think the whole scare is worrying me because i would rather feel that if you were you know uh, thinking about technology is possible i would feel that people should be far more uh, you know growth oriented thinking about the positive versus getting worried unfortunately because i think we are asking the questions of the scarcity era is creating that worry i think we have to just change the conversation nice great pankaj uh, thanks i think that questioning itself is a big point today in this dna age uh, you know there was a question which arvind had second one uh, and pankaj probably uh, you know we get to rajiv i'll probably ask because you know you've joined as a chief data and analytics officer you know while we talk about the current workforce you know which is probably there and we talk about the future workforce but people who are going to determine the future and somewhat responsible for the future of workforce is also the cxo communities now uh, and the, the word i will use nisha like the people who are in the policy makers like she used the word old or uh, their thinking is outdated how do you see the the people sitting on the top uh, you know what is that x 
needs to change. Like, you know, when we talk about CXOs, what are those new and evolving roles which people need to think about bringing in and start creating change in the entire ecosystem? Yeah. Pankaj, you know, I love the way you framed your, uh, you know, when the last bit of conversation and you're so uh, spot on when you say that, uh, you know, reword the question, ask uh, ask another question and also finding a purpose. And Anissa, answer lies in these two statements. So it's people like Pankaj or people like you and people like me, even though we cannot see the future, but because where we are and the way we are thinking or articulating what we have to say, um, I think we can we can only facilitate and enable that and, and, and the next generation will take over it. So we just need to make those stepping stones when we are actively uh, thinking in those lines. And I love the way Pankaj has put everything, you know, in perspective and because he's leading such a huge company and, you know, so many people are, like he's leading such big teams. So possibly uh, that is the way to look forward. What we can do at best right now with all the information that is available to us and everything which is happening around us is look at... Uh, like reframe the question statement once again and, and actually find the purpose. Everything has to have a meaning or, or a purpose. And this, if we are actively inculcating into our lives and uh, uh, or, or even in our policies, why is this policy coming for? And uh, wh why are why should we do what we have to do? Uh, say, for example, or, okay, internet has, has become a democracy, but then what are the effects that are going to happen? And what are the what are the structure or framework we can put in place so that if A happens, what do we do? Or B happens, what do we do? So a lot of futuristic thinking, discourses, uh, and philosophical. You know, so so I think this whole thing will come to a full circle where we will also have to tap into the ancient wisdom of the ancient philosophies and how did they find their solutions? Because uh, those stories also have the key to what is happening in the world. I truly believe that... Um, the time and civilizations are um, are cyclical and not linear. And there are a lot many answers hidden in the ancient wisdom. So possibly we will need to turn back and look into what is what kind of uh, you know statements are hidden in there. They were also very uh, advanced and they were technologically advanced and they had far. If you read those stories and if you um, if you for a second imagine that those stories were true. So the kind of uh, technological advancement they have had, we are only scratching the surface as far as it's concerned. So coming back to ethics, coming back to the structures of society. Now, these are the important questions, the social contracts. Uh, these are the important questions that need to be answered. And all the best we can do is, again, uh, ask the right questions, A and B. Uh, you know, look into the philosophical uh, aspect of life, you know, finding our purpose, the meaning, you know, the ethical structures, the new social contracts to address new, new way of thinking, new way of living. Uh, so I think these are the these are the things that we should really be uh, looking into and discoursing and um, having a conversation about. Um, th that's how I see the world. That's how I envision the world. And I'm very hopeful that, you know, civilization will only progress um, um, further. So, so I'm Nisha and I'm complete Anis. Thanks, Nisha. Pankaj, do you have anything to add to this? No, Anis, I think, I think this is very well said by Nisha. Nothing more to add. Thanks. Okay, great. Rajiv, uh, you've been patiently waiting on the stage uh, to share your perspectives. Thank you. Uh, over to you. If you have any questions, thoughts, uh, happy Thank to so bring much, them on. Thanks, Pankaji. Thanks, Nisha. Thanks, Arvind. Uh, 
and thanks to all the listeners. I hope I'm uh, audible. Uh, if not, please let me know. Okay, thank you so much. Um, You're perfect. So, okay, this is the question I keep wondering about and thinking about. Um, I've been in the corporate industry for 17, 18 years now. Uh, I have worked in the domain of procurement sourcing, primarily contract management, wherein we have dealt with uh, high-value B2B contracts for various products and services and categories. So I have seen this requirement and the industry changing a lot. Uh, Previously, the kind of skill set I used to possess uh, would help me land into a job and uh, now it's it's not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I keep evolving and I keep learning new things uh, myself uh, along with the requirements. So I'll keep it short and I'll just go back and ask a few questions before I even try to answer this, uh, that what the future of workforce looks like. Uh, I would ask, whose future are we talking about here, first of all? And what workforce are we talking about here? For example, as we say, uh, there are parallel universes here on this planet itself, on Earth itself. I see a lot of, a lot of civilizations, a lot of different ways of living, in different countries, and different levels of Maslow's hierarchy. We talked about the the uh, people or the kids who are going to be, you know, and different um, professionals uh, from the topmost level, like Nisha just mentioned those who are already at level one. So they will obviously observe this world in a different way. But I think that we are still having a lot of population who are stuck in, you know, maybe level three, four, five. I I don't have the number yet, so I cannot comment on that. So whose future are we talking about here? So for them, a lot of things will change. For those who are at a lower level of Maslow's hierarchy, a lot of things will change as well. And uh, like... Maybe, uh, like Nisha said, and I completely agree with that, we, we cannot even imagine. For example, one fine day, uh, I mean, a few weeks ago, I was wondering how, where, where is this you know, technology thing going? A lot of new technology coming up every day. And uh, I, I thought that maybe tomorrow there might be opportunities for uh, spaceship fitment trainers. Who knows? You know, there may be inter, interplanetary <laughs> travels as, as uh, you know, a few elites have already started doing like we heard, you know. Uh, I don't have the detail, but who knows, tomorrow there might be opportunities into a spaceship or planet fitment or training industry. That will be a whole new industry altogether. So we, we have no clue. We have no idea. Now, where does the requirement come from? Let us look at that. The, the industry that requires people or skills, uh, people equipped with skill sets, uh, those come from, you know, people who are leading those organizations, uh, people like Pankaj and other people as well. Uh, I am in the mid-senior uh, level of management, so I, I am not the one who is making decisions, so I can't comment on that. So they have a vision. They have a vision to take that organization somewhere, someplace. Because of that, uh, they, they open few roles which require you know, a certain skill set. So if you really want to know uh, what can be the future of workforce, you can actually look at all open you know, job descriptions or indents and one can do a research and one can easily understand uh, what kind of requirement is coming up. Uh, and this can be for a short span of time. It, it will not be something that, uh, you know, um, the, the leader might be thinking 
maybe in, in, in the next few years or so. Because depending upon the availability of the skill set also, depending upon the availability of the human resource, uh, those goals might change tomorrow. Let us say, um, a few moments ago, Pankaj was saying that he is, is trying to get people who have, you know, long-term vision, those who are not, you know, looking for low-hanging fruits and just equip themselves for a short span of time and just, you know, earn the few, uh, earn few, you know, quick bucks and then not look at um, the larger picture. So, you know, uh, we are finding it hard to find such a, such talent. You know, those who have business acumen plus technical expertise, it's, it's not easy. You gain uh, business acumen uh, with a long experience. But what if you don't have the technical skill set? You will have to depend on someone else. So it will be a combination that you will require in the long run to sustain uh, that 4 to 40, we already discussed, those time are gone. So every new day you have to evolve, you have to keep evolving. And for same reason, I have recently enrolled myself into one of the courses for data science from IIT Madras. They started last year and uh, I, I saw it really competitive and good for me to help me you know, get into this industry so that I understand. I, I don't intend to get into uh, a complete job role into that, but having worked in the industry for so long, I feel that if my data is being evaluated by someone else, uh, I might get a biased result because I know uh, what kind of data I have and how it can be evaluated and how it can be done. So if I have both the levels of expertise, uh, business acumen plus technical, um, then nothing better than that. There can be a lot of things that we can put it to use and uh, therefore we can gain ample advantage for that. So yeah, I'll keep it short and I'm, I'm, that's all from me. Thank you so much. I'm glad I could hear Pankaj today. Anis, can I go? Thank you, Rajiv. Thanks for triggering some additional thoughts. Anis, I'll, I'll just share, share, share. And I like to sh share thoughts based on some examples. So one of the examples was someone asked me that, uh, what would my career path be? And, uh, you know, I said, uh, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> I always say that sometimes, is that even the right question? But I know the spirit of that question that, you know, uh, can I have a long and fulfilling job where I continue to keep be relevant and all of that? So I, I, I said, okay, you know, I can tell you a three or four paths, which, uh, you know, many people before you have come. But frankly, do you really want a path given to you and choose from that? Because if you look around yourself, uh, companies are talking about mass personalization. No one actually wants the same product. Everyone wants a very personalized product, including medicine. So so my, my point to him was that, you know, I can give you a few paths and ideas on what those paths are. But frankly, I would be so much more happier if you created your own path based on your own passion, based on your own purpose and stuff like that. So I think that's a I'm you know, headed with this whole career conversation also saying what would a career be and I think in people's mind there are a few paths and you know companies actually have created those career ladders to say you will be you know this designation or that designation or, or this role or that role with this JD. Uh, in my mind some of those are actually constraining and sometimes people who have grown up using some of those paths are probably asking the wrong question or having the wrong notion of what a path looks like because in my mind that whole path is uh, at, at one level a random walk, at another level it's a very fluid thing uh, like I said the only thing to me which is constant is that there is a purpose that I'm going after and if you want to call me X or Y or Z during that path that's fine I don't care so much and getting getting so stuck to that path and that uh, industry connotation um, uh, to me I think it, it, it doesn't sound right uh, in, in the world that we are inheriting so I think that whole career path and the whole future workforce uh, to me has to be rethought about in terms of even the question that people are asking back yes, to you Anis yeah 
Thank you so much for that. Nothing, no comment from the others. Now, uh, Rajiv, you had a very interesting perspective where you mentioned uh, which workforce we are, ta we are talking about. Uh, you know, somebody may say I'm a selfish person, but I'm also thinking about my own <laughs> career. Uh, I'm still not done. I still have a few decades to go from a working perspective. Uh, so, you know, even I'm thinking about what's the future of my work. And I'm sure, uh, you know, all of us right. are like you are, uh, like you've enrolled for a particular program. Uh, so, you know, uh, there is a inherent personal interest uh, when I talk about this topic is about what do I need to do to evolve and adapt to the ever-changing world because uh, yeah you just give me you just if you could give me sure. 10 seconds I could say sure. where, yeah this 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 thought actually originated from one of the one of the talks I was hearing to uh, which was dedicated to you know some some country from Africa uh, they were talking about new technology and all those things. And, and somebody, you know, rightly quoted this, uh, a great, made a great comment there. That what is the use of technology when we are struggling with hunger and all those basic needs and basic things and problems like that? I don't need to explain on that. So I, I really keep thinking that, see, world is different from everyone, every one of us. The way we see world is not the same for my son, like Nisha said. You know, uh, Nisha's daughter has a completely different um, perspective altogether to something that her father is advising her to do. Uh, same is the case with me. I'm a father of two kids, so it's very hard for me to kind of convince them. The, way, the, the lens that I used to use uh, for my own career to design that, um, and that is no more, you know, useful, and it's changing every day. So, so yeah, that's all, Anish. Thanks. No, Rajiv, uh, you're bang on. Uh, we'll have one last uh, question because we are on top of our 90 minutes. Uh, Pankaj has been uh, gracious enough to spend uh, his Sunday evening with us. So, Harshit, uh, thank you for joining us on the stage. Would you like to go and probably share your thoughts? Hey, hi Anis, hi Rajiv, hi Nisha, hi Arvind, hi Pankaj. So, uh, nice uh, topic uh, for the, uh, for a conversation. And first, what I want to, uh, what I'm curious about is that how much long term are we uh, really discussing the uh, future of workforce? Like 10 years or 20 years or 50 years? Let's say five years for now, for the sake of discussion, Harshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was listening, I was listening to uh, both uh, uh, Rajiv and Pankaj talk. And obviously, uh, because you, you are most probably uh, older than me. And I think uh, I relate to some part of it. And again, it's, it's uh, very very complicated, very fuzzy topic to discuss because uh, it's very polarizing because uh, say when Nabal Khan says that farming will get automated and you take that insight and move to a remote village in Uttar Pradesh in India, right? And you talk to this farmer and you say that, you know what, one day this entire thing is going to be automated. Uh, there will be going to be machines which will uh, going to do farming and and you will have time and probably a better life. So, I don't know, I have been conflicted. I have been conflicted on this uh, topic a lot. And But I, I generally believe that we are moving in the right direction because 
I see uh, the videos that Boston Dynamics puts out on the YouTube, and it reminds me of uh, of the moment in history, say 50 years back, when IBM made this uh, big, huge, uh, five foot or six foot hard disk, and it was big. It was big like a 500 liter tank, no, not the fighting tank, but the water tank, and it had five MB of storage of sto- of uh, storage and right now when i'm speaking in this room when i'm talking uh, on clubhouse on this topic i'm holding a handheld device that has 256 gigs of storage in my hand and 8 gigs of uh, computational power so when i uh, uh, when i read history and when i see that what has happened in the last 50 years. I'm, I'm very young, I'm not very old, I'm 26 years of age. I remember the time growing up and my first mobile phone was a Nokia 3300, which was a, a black and white phone. And that time Nokia used to be the most uh, popular player. And within 14, 15 years, we have come to a point where uh, basically we have uh, Apple iPhone with the uh, LiDAR, with the uh, better cameras with uh, more capable augmented reality. So I, I, I generally believe in what Naval says and that is that we uh, we are not moving towards less jobs. There, there will uh, There is going to be more jobs and it's already happening because as an engineer, I've been working remotely for the last, uh, I guess, uh, two years and if you like, if you're really sitting and observing, then you'll get those insights because things are changing. I have nephews, I have young niece who are like uh, 10 to 12 years old and they are learning online. They are learning on Microsoft Teams. They are, they are learning to code on YouTube. And you have to understand everyone wants to learn from the best. They do not want to uh, go to this local institution uh, where like, uh, where... Uh, so I guess uh, the future of workforce is remote, more flexible, and something which uh, Naval says that the atomization of factories. That's that's my thoughts. Thank you. Thanks, Arshit. And you're bang on uh, on what you just said. But candidly, the as Nisha and all of us have said, the future is still a little unclear for many of us. Uh, while we can all guess uh, and we can create those pathways uh, for either our nephews or our own children. Uh, and on that thought, uh, you know, it's been... Anis, yeah. Anis is Pankaj. Yes. I, I, I can't <laughs> let the session close without the 5C framework. Please, please. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to actually come on that. And you, uh, you know, because uh, you've known for those 5C frameworks, which I'm sure... No, so I think uh, uh, for the benefit of others, and Anis knows that uh, this is a question that my daughter had asked on what should I study. And I came up with the 5C framework. There's a longer discussion. There's a derivation of that framework. So I said, you know, while there's a framework because I'm a management guy, but there's also a derivation because I'm an engineer. It's in, it isn't a 4P framework which doesn't have a derivation. So anyway, the, in short, I'll just give the answer on what that framework in my mind is. And I think it's not just relevant for my daughter, but for me and pretty much everyone else. But you know, everyone is free to derive their own framework. I think the five C's really represent the first one is curiosity that, you know, I, I ought to be curious, you know, looking around what's happening. That curiosity with a view to the next, next C, which is compassion and absorb and appreciate 
what the world needs uh, needs around us the third one is conviction so that curiosity and compassion should lead to some conviction in my heart on where is it that i can play what should i do based on what i see around me that should lead to the fourth c which is my creativity on solving that problem or attacking that problem in a creative way and communication is really talking about it or launching that product in the market and based on the customer feedback should fuel my curiosity back again so in my mind this five c is virtuous cycle of curiosity giving light to compassion to my conviction creativity and communication is the way i see the circle of life circle of living and i think that's the way i look at it to me within that you know what that purpose ought to be or what that you know job ought to be or what that career ought to be whether it is ai driven or not ai driven seem to be subservient under this framework but like i said that's a longer separate discussion but i did want to leave this thought in this room Pankaj, oh, that's yeah. wonderful, Pankaj. What was the last C? Communication, uh, really. Mm-hmm. So, because when you communicate to your customers or you launch that product, then it further sort of break, brings your curiosity back because they may sometimes reject it. So then you ought to be curious: what happened? What would I do? And then that whole cycle repeats itself. So, Pankaj, would you mind if I if I attribute this and I write an article around it and publish it on LinkedIn? <laughs> you know you can certainly do that i mean i am like like an open source guy in fact this uh, this article has been published in a wiley book and some other publications i have spoken about it in other talks so i have to say that some people will say that they have heard it before but frankly if you have a different audience than mine i'm sure i would love to have all these ideas be open source because that's how i think world should be no 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 i i tr- truly believe uh, in attributing i mean so i've heard it from you so i'm going to attribute it to you so Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Co-creation, Pankaj. Sure. Thank you so much. Pankaj, I I know your time is valuable, but Anisha, if you could allow me, uh, I have one thought that I keep pondering over. Uh, if I could, I mean, I is that okay? Sure, Anish? Pankaj. Uh, let's keep it to short so that you know. The... Yeah, yeah. It will be. It will be just a yes or a no kind of a question. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> I, Go I, I know. Uh, I won't waste his time unnecessary. Okay. Uh, so uh, and to everyone here. Uh, See, we talk about need. We always talk about product market fitment um, and all those things. Uh, I also feel that okay, if there is a need, you must build something. You must solve the problem and all those things. Problem definition and trying to solve that. But how I am seeing it in recent past, like uh, I, w- I would talk about only two to three decades maximum since the time I have become conscious of life and, and have started understanding it. i think that awareness or knowledge about anything or any solution is is what actually creates the need if you don't know about something you would not obviously feel the need for that so uh, if i can take an example crypto can be the best example uh, do i need a crypto to operate in this world am i not eligible right now to buy anything uh, using you know the current currency i am very much capable of doing that okay crypto can add few things so technology can be an enabler in in many sense uh, in many sense many ways but uh, it's not that you know we we can't live without those technologies but i i also feel that consumerism is being driven by you know large corporates or maybe you know big business houses uh to the level that uh, actually the consumers do not really feel the need to use them uh, and sometimes it feels like it is being pushed uh, and and because of that there is a demand that is being created so i feel that because supply is there and demand is being created uh, previously it was like if there is a demand then there will be supply what's what are your thoughts pankaj ji on this please you know i think uh, <laughs> in just in the interest of time i i I've, i've shared my uh, number with you maybe i can have a bilateral chat with you because i think no uh, you know we have run out of time no love to yeah. sort of engage with anyone else uh, you know i i love chatting with people one on one 
but in the interest of time i would rather have it uh, you know offline and these are very you know interesting uh, you know nuanced discussion which can <laughs> which can go on and i i learn a lot so i would rather do that uh, separately now thanks a lot pankaj uh, this has been an amazing conversation some very interesting thoughts personally i have learned a lot uh, on this and i'm sure the audience who were there and uh, thanks to nisha rajiv arvind and everybody else are uh, Prakash, Kal, Monica, whoever joined on the stage has been profound in terms of adding to this conversation. It's been one of the well Sunday spent for me personally. Uh, so thank you, Pankaj, and thank you everyone uh, and uh, for joining us today. Again, as a reminder, we are a Nation Digital Supermovers Club uh, where we host different OGs and thought leaders uh, and bring different perspectives specific to tech, product management, uh, fintech. and many more other topics thank you anish thank you very much and thank you everyone for being here and it was really engaging great we'll be shutting down the room in the next 30 seconds so thank you everyone have a good night uh, if you are in india or if anyone else have a good day and uh, uh, probably thanks. catch up Bye. soon thanks everyone bye bye thanks everyone thank you for listening in and we close yet another episode of masters decoded If you've enjoyed the episode, please you can help us out by sharing it on social media. I would personally appreciate that. It's how we can reach more listeners and the more listeners we have, the more awesome guests I can get in touch and convince to participate in these conversations. That are a joy to have for me and I hope they are a joy for you to listen as well. You can also help a lot leaving reviews on iTunes or your podcast service of choice. Reviews are surprisingly helpful in supporting the podcast to get to more listeners. If this episode has intrigued you, I would request you to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date and get notified to the future episodes. With that, I bid you and see you in the next episode.